Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello to Rojan fans. Welcome to episode number 303 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 13th, 2014. We've got a special show this week. Dan Weber, uscfootball.com. Pete Ryder is going to carry the whole show. we got a secret assignment for Coach Harvey Hyde. He's on his way to Las Vegas, and we're going to just talk to uh, Dan this week and a lot of different topics uh, to talk about with what's been going on with USC football. We're going to get to all of that, but if you have any questions or comments, we do love to hear from you. We like to play them on the air. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. You can call 206-888-6755 and leave a voicemail. We can play that on the podcast or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, and click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer. So lots of different ways you can get in touch with us. All right. Well, we want to get to Dan Weber joining us online right now. Hey, Dan, what's going on? Hey, uh, kind of a you know new week. New uh, new chapter in kind of USC football. It looks like, you know, this is kind of the week where, you know, instead of looking back, everybody starts to look ahead with the uh, kind of uh, introduction to the press from the uh, the new coaching staff in person uh, happening Tuesday. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good thing. It's been difficult for them kind of not to be, you know, out there in the public and and for people to get to know them. And uh, so this is, you know, kids are back in school and focusing by uh, day after tomorrow. You know, you know who all is coming back and who's going to be on the team and where it goes from here. But uh, I think this is uh, kind of a, you know, kind of a looking forward uh, start to uh, what they need to have happen uh, and get past, uh, you know, all the uh, all the drama of uh, of the, you know, of this fall, you know, from from the first of September on, you know, we've had nothing but nothing but drama. <laughs> There's been a lot, certainly been a lot of drama, you know, for head coaches over a you know two and a half month span or whatever it was. So that it's been kind of crazy, and people weren't really sure what was going to happen as far as the assistant coaching staff goes. We're going to talk about where some of the former USC assistants, now former USC assistants and head coach are a little bit later on, but I wanted to, to mention the, the new coaches, Dan, and there's new assistant coaches. It looks like Sarkeesian staff is, is settled right now. Uh, we're actually going to get a chance to talk with them on Tuesday at USC so we can uh, you know, meet all the new assistant coaches and kind of give you a report on what's going on with that. But wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, some of these, some of these new guys that they, they're bringing in. It's an interesting, uh, you know, combination of, um, Sark's uh, guys from Washington, he bringing five with him, plus a uh, strength and conditioning guy, which uh, you pretty much need, I think, uh, to have your guy in there that you really understand how he's going to do, you know, what uh, what you want him to do. It doesn't mean one guy's better than, the, you know, the other guy. But uh, I think those guys do have to work uh, really, uh, you know, closely together. So uh, it's uh, probably when it was up for grabs, you know, you might have liked to see almost say an equal, equal 
kind of blending of the two. But, you know, with the, uh, with the uh, former USC coaches moving on, uh, you know, now it's, uh, it's absolutely, start, you know, start staff. And uh, I think bringing in the two line coaches from uh, who they are, where they got, you know, what, you know, what their experience is. And, uh, you know, I just think, uh, you know, coaches Davis and, and Dresda, you've got two really, really, you know, big time professionals who's been there at the, you know, at the top level and who's, uh, you know, everything about it says, uh, you know, these are, these are very good hires. Um, and then, you know, you have, you have Sarts people who I think, uh, uh, you know, in terms of a, a situation where you need stability at, at USC at this point, uh, that's another way of giving them stability. Once, uh, you know, once the players who are going to return, you know, decide, uh, then you've got a, uh, uh, you know, a big nucleus of, of, of a coaching staff who really knows what Sark wants to do, how he wants to do it. So, uh, so I think, you know, you can make the case that, uh, uh, at this point in time, you know, where you would have said, gosh, you hate to lose Tommy Robinson or you hate to lose, you know, Clancy Pendergast. Um, you've still got, you know, you've got a staff who shouldn't lose any time in terms of how they deal with one another how they deal with the head coach. So I think that's a positive. Uh, we'll see, uh, you know, if things uh, change and how they, uh, you know, how they approach the, you know, the winter workouts and uh, uh, how many players they've got for spring and, you know, how that all, all works uh, because you are, you know, putting in a, in a new, uh, basically a new offense and a new, you know, defense. And uh, I guess the, you know, having the uh, ability to not have to coach your own coaches first. Whereas if you assemble the staff from a number of different places, you'd have to spend time coaching the coaches, then coaching the players that won't have to happen. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a plus without a doubt. So uh, not a bad, not a bad, you know, place they find themselves in right now. Yeah. I think stability, like you mentioned, is certainly important. There was a lot of instability and I think it, cause a lot of problems on, you know, just we saw it with the fan base on the peristyle or, you know, I think people are starting to calm down a little bit at least. Um, but, you know, not knowing where the assistants were coming from and who was staying and who was leaving. Uh, but now, you know, we're going to see all these guys on campus tomorrow. I guess, I guess and most of them, like you said, came from Sark staff in Washington, but, you know, we saw some outside guys. Uh, one of them though, it looks like he's still going to be coaching for, for a little while and uh, we might not see him on campus for a few weeks. Oh, uh, Coach Trevor. Yeah, I know. Uh, certainly for another week, anyway. And it would be another, uh, you know, reunion uh, against, uh, you know, Pete Carroll and all the USC guys that are, you know, at uh, at uh, in Seattle. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a way of uh, staying in touch with the uh, uh, with the NFL players as, as they go forward. And it's interesting that, you know, you end up uh, with the USC interest, uh, the most direct USC interest will be uh, – uh, on the 49ers sideline, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, Pete Carroll, you know, on the other sideline. So that certainly gives you a, a reason to, to uh, be watching, uh, the NFL playoffs. One of the other things you think about is in this kind of battle, uh, that we always see in college football between, uh, you know, the coast and the East coast bias and the West coast, you know, da, da, da. uh, the NFL is kind of starting to, lean a whole lot west uh you've got you know you got san francisco seattle and denver three of the four teams left are about you know as west 
coast as it's possible uh, to go and uh, kind of makes for, you know, West Coast fans, they have a kind of a neat rooting interest, but it also, it's neat to have a, a coach that you're watching and wondering, you know, when does he, uh, when does, when is he able to come uh, to USC? Cause that's a pretty key, uh, pretty key spot that offensive line coach and, uh, and coaching is, is really going to be paramount just because of the numbers and, uh, you know, the fact that you're losing three of the guys who started uh, on the offensive line and, uh, in Las Vegas, uh, won't be here, uh, three of the five. So, uh, so there's some work to be done. And, uh, uh, several of the guys are coming back, coming off major surgery. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot on the, uh, on the plate for the offensive line coach. So, uh, be be fun to watch, uh, obviously, and uh, and gives you a rooting interest one way or the other. I mean, I think USC fans, you know, that's one of those games you might be rooting both ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have the local. There's a lot of local fans, you know, California guys that like the 49ers just because it's a California team. There's a lot of people that now root for the Seattle Seahawks because of the Pete Carroll connection, and and now you're talking about you know future USC offensive line coach also on the 49ers team. So I think there's a lot of different reasons why people be rooting for both these teams, but it's good. I think it's going to be a great NFC championship game. It's just two really powerful teams right now. And it's the, you, the carryover of the Carroll Harbaugh, you know, rivalry from, you know, Stanford and USC. So, uh, and that's kind of neat that there was for a while, the attitude of, you know, college doesn't really matter. College coaches don't really matter. Here you got, you know, the, the hottest two, you know, franchises in, in, um, in NFL football are two guys who, you know, made their name in college football, uh, and, and very recently and, and made their rivalry in college football. And here they go into the NFL and it just continues on. It's not, it's like they didn't leave, uh, USC and Stanford, you know, it's still, it's still there. And it's interesting that, you know, a lot of people would say, you can't do that in the NFL. You know, it's just, uh, it's a different world. It's a different, you know, all this, um, I guess all the circumstances in, in a way are changed. It's not about recruiting. It's not about, uh, you know, all the kind of things that, and there was some, you know, um, rah-rah elements, uh, you know, in terms of, of both Pete and Harbaugh in terms of how they, how they conducted them, you know, themselves. And there were people who thought, you know, I don't know if that works at the NFL. <laughs> kind of neat to see that it does work at the NFL at the, at the very, you know, top end of the NFL. And, uh, and it, it just continues on. I'm not sure anybody would have guessed that it would, would be able to go like that. Uh, certainly not at Seattle. I think that, you know, with their track record uh, over the years, uh, to have Seattle, you know, become that kind of a dominant franchise, uh, you know, with Pete, you know, fairly quickly, and then uh, and Harbaugh just, you know, not miss a beat coming out of Stanford. Uh, pretty neat. Yeah, it is pretty neat. So definitely check that out next Sunday, and uh, you can see former USC coaches, future USC coaches, a lot of stuff going on uh, in that NFL game now that college football is over. But I wanted so we talk about some of the new coaches, Dan, coming in, and. You talk about some of the continuity there, but what about the guys that were on the staff? And there's a there's a few big names, and the one you know that that came out, I guess, first, and 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 a lot of people are talking about is former USC coach, head coach Lane Kiffin, joining 
Nick Saban, of all people, in Alabama as the offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was always that connection. They have, they share the same agent. So, And then, you know, I mean, Lane had gone down there, uh, you know, in the off season and done some consulting work and I guess did some at the end of the season. And uh, I guess there's a, you know, kind of a bonding there. And, and obviously uh, Nick wants to go in a little bit different direction. I'll, you know, college football is changing, even in the SEC. And if you looked at the scores as the season went on, you look what Gus Malzahn, you know, brought there, brought to, you know, Auburn with a whole different way of, of, of putting up points. And uh, I think this is Nick Saban's response. It's an interesting one. I, I know some of us are probably uh, a little puzzled. Uh, see, Nick Saban wasn't at the Washington State game. Uh, we we were, and you know that's hard to get to get over sometimes. Uh, remembering uh, some of those moments, uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what because Lane does come from a pro pro background, you know, running that you know running a you know the pro offense uh, that Nick had always you know wanted to run. Now he wants to run an updated pro you know, style offense, which I think is interesting, which it's where Sark got to, you know, before Lane did. And I think Sark probably tried to convince Lane to go there. And that was something Lane didn't want to do. Now I'm guessing he's tasked to do that at Alabama, which is, that's interesting. I, I just find that very, very interesting and see how that works out. I mean, evidently their personalities somehow mesh. You could tell, even when I the, the one year in the SEC, the one coach that, you know, there might have been uh, some uh, issues, say, with uh, Urban Meyer in Florida or with the uh, Mike Slide, the head of the uh, SEC, between Lane and those guys, I never got any sense that, that Lane and, um, and Nick Saban had any kind of issues. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it will really, it will be the most um, – uh, the storyline, as Lane likes to use that word, uh, that people will most pay attention to in terms of assistant coaches. He will be the most famous assistant coach, the most watched assistant coach, the most mentioned assistant coach on college game day in history, probably, my guess would be. Uh, maybe other than, say, Ed Orgeron, the last nine, you know, last eight games uh, of the USC uh, season. Um, Lane will be, and again, it's uh, a storyline that involves USC. It seems like USC is never going to step out of the limelight. <laughs> yeah, that'll be now that now the USC branches have extended out, or the roots have extended out into SEC country, and uh, you know, Mike's live didn't even want to mention Lane Kiffin's name before. Now he's the offensive coordinator in Alabama. He's probably going to have to to mention him a time mm-hmm. or two now. <laughs> <laughs> but that I guess the good news is they don't take the assistant coaches to the uh that three day uh you know media and uh, preseason media uh you know thing that it's hard to even describe what it is that the SEC does every year but uh, uh it would be interesting if you took uh, it'll be in Birmingham as it it always is my guess is if Alabama didn't take one of the players and took one of the assistant coaches Lane might be the most interviewed person there yeah. <laughs> just because there is that, he just 
he, you know, you talk about attracting uh, attention, and without even trying, it just happens. There's just something about Lane Kiffin's persona that you know he's just not uh, able to probably stay, uh, you know, a lot out of the limelight. I mean, he he certainly did, you know, toward the end of the season. He was on game day, you know, once and. Other than that, though, he was not a, you know, not a big in the spotlight as far as the way USC season, uh, you know, evolved. But uh, but there he is again, and uh, it's kind of uh, <laughs> it'll be a sideline. People will at least have a reason now to pay attention out here to the SEC and and what's going on. I might have more more than that as uh, other things uh, play out. So it looks like Mike Summers uh, will be. Uh, be the offensive line coach at Florida and there uh, he's in another, you know, kind of potentially one and done situation with uh, the way their offense went last year. And, you know, he's got the challenge of, you know, the offense that mostly famous for the uh, two offensive linemen blocking one another really well, actually in that one game where the highlight, where the trying to think which game that was Florida game where the two, uh, two offensive linemen located one another and absolutely delivered a, just a perfect downfield block on one another. Uh, and uh, other than that, Florida's offense, you know, nobody, nobody mentioned it at all. Uh, and so he's there and uh, who knows where, uh, where coach O might end up. We certainly see all the rumors now about, uh, about reuniting with, uh, with Lane. Who knows? That would be uh That'd be hilarious times uh, 10. <laughs> well, you know, the, there were some reports of that before. And then, uh, you know, our friend Bruce Feldman, who, you know, is pretty tight with Orgeron just because he, you know, he wrote a book about him and spent the whole year with him down there at, when he was the head coach at Old Miss and covered him when he was in Miami. So there's a, a lot of history there. Bruce didn't say he has any quotes or anything, but he said, uh, you know, he tweeted out earlier this morning that, you know, these, these reports weren't true. Um, He's not expected. He said. He says he's not. He's pretty sure that's not going to happen, and never was. So, yeah, I tend to agree with Bruce on that. But it, it was fun to look at the rumors. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, just because everybody you know loves to have uh, those rumors. I mean, I always I would thought it would have been more more likely that he'd reunite with Tommy Robinson at uh, at Texas uh, would be more likely a scenario as far as I was concerned that, uh, you know, it was great to see Tommy Robinson. It looks like, uh, you know, ends up at, at Texas, somebody who, you know, could not have done a better job and could have not have left here on better terms. Um, the way he handled the running backs and the way, uh, you know, just a good, solid, great guy. And um, to see him end up at, at Texas with, uh, you know, Coach Strong, It'd be pretty uh, pretty neat thing for for Tommy and for Texas. I think they'll be uh, they'll be pleased. And who knows? Uh, USC got Texas's D line coach. Can can it go the other way around? Uh, I don't know. I think one would think that 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 wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for uh, for Texas or for Coach O if, if something like that worked out. The, uh, you know, there's been some, you know, uh, head coaching turnover. Some of the bigger programs, obviously, uh, we'll probably still see some trickle down from that. Um, anything out there you think that if Ed Orgeron was still going to hold out for a head coaching gig, that there's something that, that could come his way? Well, I think if, 
I mean, two things there. I think had he stayed and coached through the Las Vegas Bowl, and none of us are ever probably going to know that whole story, it would be probably a cautionary tale for for the judgmental people on the on the P who uh, um, can come in and say, you know, he did this for this reason, or he's this or he's that. Those of us who know him really well really don't know what happened, why, how, uh, and are, are puzzled. There's no question about it. But for those who don't know him, to think they can absolutely tell you what his motivation was there, or he was saying this, but he really meant that, or he said this. No, I, I just I would just caution everybody to, you know, relax on on trying to be so absolutely judgmental about uh, you know things like oh he said he was wanted a head coaching job, but uh, you know he'll take an assistant job or whatever. Just I would call that sometimes, uh, you know, when you say you need a you know, you need something to say. I think it was more USC saying he was leaving for a head coaching job and they, no one was going to go into exactly what happened. So, um, uh, I think if had Louisville, had he coached through the whole season through the Las Vegas bowl and had Louisville opened up in a way, say, where they really opened it up. I don't think they ever did. I think Bobby Petrino was on their radar from the beginning and they were, the question was, do we allow Bobby Petrino to come back considering a, how he left Louisville and B uh, what happened at Arkansas. And that was the thing they had to work through. They didn't really, I don't think at Louisville work through anything else. Uh, so there wasn't like a plan B, uh, but uh, that would have been to me, had he, had he been able to you know finish out the year, gotten the three weeks of, of kind of exposure coaching through the Las Vegas bowl would have, would have met had an offer from USC to come back in the circumstances, the way USC wanted him to come back, I think Ed, you know, would be in a position to, to be involved in, in jobs like that. Whether Vanderbilt, you know, whether that one, uh, just because Vandy's kind of a, you know, one of a kind place in the SEC. And, and the other question is, does the uh, does add three years at, the, at Ole Miss really make it more difficult, you know, for an SEC job? I don't I don't know that. Uh, uh, you just wish that his resume would have included all nine games at uh, at USC with the kind of resounding, you know, finish that you know they they probably would have had for him and a you know kind of a a walking away that would have been uh, you know much more. Uh, sellable, let's say, to athletic directors. If you're an athletic director, you're looking around the country. And if you don't know the story at USC or you don't know how that really went down, you're probably thinking, gosh, I don't know. What, 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 what do you do? So uh, probably a top assistant job at a really top program that gets turned around fairly quickly where he uh, is, you know, recruiting coordinator, uh, defense a lot, much the same, you know, role he had at USC. Might put him in a, you know, a place, uh, place like that. Does he want to go say um, the Western Kentucky job? And I may have missed it. Whether I know they were interviewing assistants there. Uh, is that, you know, they're one of the, I guess, after they were for a number of years, there were 120 
division ones and then there are five more and western was one of the five that went you know moved up from division um one double a to uh, division one that kind of a job or an arkansas state job i don't know uh if i would say it's a it's a it's a hard uh pull uh for ed this year unless someone really really knows him and and really say knows the uh, you know the inside story at usc in terms of all the things that that happened in the you know the last couple of months but uh i, I just you know I, i'd say probably not i would say probably the rumors of him um you know going to one of the you know either top programs or maybe the nfl would uh, would be the case if you go to the nfl does that mean you're probably not coming back to college? I don't know. He's such a such a good recruiter, and he can create you know such a bond with his players as he did at USC. We'll see. I think the Ed Orgeron uh, story has yet to be written, and uh, just as we don't know uh, about the end at USC, I think we really you can't know where that where that goes. But but I I, I would certainly not be uh, harshly judgmental about and as, as, as you see some some people you know want to be yeah western kentucky ended up uh they hired pretty quickly their offensive coordinator jeff brom uh he yeah, they a, did hire him yeah. okay i knew jeff was a leading candidate i i had known him actually as a um he was a high school coach he was out of louisville trinity and his dad had been a star in louisville and uh you know coaching family he coached his whole life uh, his son, I think he had actually a couple of kids, uh, who were real good, really good, um, football players at, uh, Louisville Trinity, but, uh, it certainly looked like that was the way they were going to go. Okay. Missed that. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, there really aren't, aren't the, uh, aren't the numbers of, uh, jobs at this point. Now, whether some of the, uh, NFL jobs, uh, you know, go to colleges, it's it's certainly a lot easier now to justify, uh, you know, a college coach. I guess the other thing though is people are more looking at, uh, for example, Washington goes with Jay Gruden, kind of a you know his brother was famous, but the you know the Bengals offensive coordinator instead of uh, you know getting a big high profile hire that uh, you know owner Dan Snyder had had liked to do since. You know, since he, I guess Steve Spurrier might have been his his first, but he'd always wanted kind of the spicy hires. Now is the NFL going to go more for the, uh, you know, the low key um, coordinators, uh, or will they take another look and say, you know, college coaches have been doing pretty well, and obviously Bill O'Brien, uh, you know, comes in out of Penn State. It'll be interesting to see, you know with the few that are left, does that create any kind of, uh, you know, uh, domino effect, uh, with, you know, with some openings? Yeah. We'll have to, to wait and see on that. There's, uh, a lot, a lot of things could still happen, but it does, does seem less likely now, um, for Edward Duran getting a head coaching position, but we'll see what happens and, and keep following that story as it breaks. Um, when, we had a question from, uh, Frank in gold river, uh, let me read it for you, Dan. He said, I think Pat Hayden thought that once the emotions wore off, Steve Sarkeesian would have been a better fit for USC long-term than Coach Ed Orgeron would have been. Also, I believe of the four guys that Hayden interviewed, Sark was the only one who said he would have no problem keeping Ed Orgeron on the staff. Hayden gambled that he could 
have the best of both, but Coach Orgeron left. The biggest accomplishment, I think, for recruiting on Sark's side that's not being talked about is him getting enough players to come to Washington to turn the program around. If you're a kid who's considering going to a rainy hellhole, uh, this is Frank's quotes, to play football over the last five years, you're most likely going to Oregon. Oregon. I said Oregon like, uh, like uh, what's his name? Um, Lou Holtz. <laughs> like, yeah. like Oregon. That's from Frank and Gold River. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, I guess you could make the Seattle would make the case that uh, there are also a lot of good reasons to go uh, to go to Seattle. I don't think it's, it's, you know, you're recruiting uh, Southern California kids, you know, a lot, you know, for the great part, or you're recruiting from somewhere else and there, there isn't, as much uh, high school football in the state of Washington, and, and no question about that. Uh, yeah, I think I think that the focus there is that they thought the best solution was the combination of Sark and Ed, and were fairly confident they could have Ed with the offer you know that they made for Ed, and uh, and that wasn't the case, and they hadn't probably stayed close enough to Ed. I think they were staying close to Sark, but they hadn't stayed close enough to Ed. So I think you know, they looked at it as, well, if we get Sark and get the guy we want, and we also get Ed, this is you know this is powerful. And um, I think a lot of people have said, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good uh, you know way to go. Uh, the miscalculation was they didn't have Ed, uh, so that's what left people kind of, you know, in that middle place where they said, oh, you know, Sark and Ed, hey, like the looks of that. Because it, it it basically would have been a blending of the of the holdover guys who had done such a great job and of Sark, who had, you know, over five years, had rebuilt Washington. It probably didn't help that Sark's team won only, you know, won a, one game less than, than Ed's team did. Uh over the you know last uh, you know eight nine games, but uh, other than that, uh, I can you can understand where USC was coming from. Can we put the two two together? Take advantage of both of their strengths. We get our guy who we feel you know comfortable with, and it's a kind of a in in the family hiring and a stability kind of a situation, uh, and we guarantee stability with with Ed. But then Ed leaves, and most of the other coaches leave, and you've got that you know period of a month or so where uh, you've got players leaving, and it was a difficult thing. You also had, and this is tough if you're one of the three, let's say the first three coaches that Sark brings down, and you're down at you know you're at USC, you're going to high school games, but you're also not coaching the team, so. You're in the building. You're in the case center. Players are there. You're there. The old coaches are there. The holdovers. What do you do? Uh, if you talk to the players, if you really start engaging them and getting involved with them, does it look like you're trying to, you know, impose yourself on a team that still has a bowl game to play and still has a coaching staff in place? Uh, so I think that the new guys chose not to do that. But then if you're one of the players who's coming back or thinking about coming back and you got, you know, you see new coaches in the building who aren't talking to you. And it's like, well, 
you know, they didn't feel like it was their place maybe to, to be talking to the players because the players all had, you know, coaches and position coaches and they had a game to play. So you got to, you know, those three weeks where kids aren't getting to know them, even if they see them around, it, it was a difficult situation. And Sark's guys were, were put into a you know pretty difficult situation on a daily basis, I think. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about that except, you know, get through it. And now, you know, you don't have that situation at this point. They're the coaches, the players are the players, and, you know, everybody now has a chance to, to really get to know one another and how we're going to do things and, and what we're going to do. But um, until now, that really wasn't possible. So, and I think that uh, a decision has been made, you know, from start down that they're really going to emphasize that kind of getting to know the players and getting to really understand uh, where they're coming from and, and understanding that there's going to be some, uh, uh, you know, some emotion in terms of losing coaches that they were really close to. And, and that's the way you would want it. You would want to have had a, a staff that was here that these kids feel really loyal to. If you're a new coach coming in, you want to say, Hey, I hope they feel that way about me. Uh, but, uh, it wasn't the ideal situation, say, for the last month uh, for the, the new coaches, the new staff to be in, having to just handle, you know, kind of an emotional you know, roller coaster that these, uh, these kids have been on. Uh, and, it's, you know, the end of the it's a, long, uh, a long series of, of things like that. So uh, now, we'll, now they get the chance to be themselves, to, to really uh, coach them up and show these kids who they are and, and how they're going to do things. All right. Uh, I wanted to talk about the scholarship distribution chart a little bit and then some of the early enrollees. Um, if you look at the chart overall, and you can go, if you go to uscfootball.com, there's this little uh, gold bar across the top under more. Uh, you can see the scholarship distribution chart there. We link to it in the Peristyle every once in a while. And it's, you know, we keep updating it, and you can see what's going on there. But with five early enrollees leaving, Dan, um, down to 11 seniors on this team. And, uh, you know, we haven't heard from Hayes Pillard or, or Joshua Shaw. It seems like, you know, they haven't announced yet. They're, they're probably going to stick around. But, the, it, you know, it's probably what we're going to see. But overall, there's only 53 players currently on scholarship. And if you add 19 to that, um, you know, you can do the quick math. That gets you to 72. Uh, that's the max it looks like USC can get to uh, going into the 2014 season. Right, and um, and and I think the immediate impact is uh, you know spring ball because of so many guys, twelve, thirteen guys, I guess thirteen, coming off of season-ending something or other, whether it was surgery or or an injury, and uh, how many of them are available in uh, in the spring? And uh, while you might be able to go into a game, as USC did often, with 53 or fewer scholarship players, it's still a miracle how they did you know, some of that. Uh, but uh, going into spring practice with those kinds of numbers, because I think one of the other impacts we're going to see is a lot of the really valuable walk-ons, the guys who really made it possible to practice, a lot of those guys are seniors. You know, for the kids that you know, they gave scholarships to in the fall were, you know, specifically because they were seniors um, and graduating. Uh, so you won't have as many walk-ons. 
for the spring as well. You know, you do get more walk-ons in the fall. They really went out and did a pretty good job of, you know, getting guys like, uh, you know, uh, um, the tight end Sullivan and, and, and Wilson who came in and, and really gave, gave some, uh, you know, terrific support. Abe Markowitz, uh, became a walk-on, but terrific support guys like that are probably not going to show up in the middle of the year. So how they, uh, and, and that was one of the, the great, I think, uh, abilities that the, uh, the Ed Orgeron Clay Helton coaching staff showed was the ability to practice, practice fast and hard with few players. And uh, that, it'll be interesting to see if that becomes a learned, uh, you know, skill for, uh, for Sark and his guys who haven't had to do that, uh, but are going to have to do it in the spring. But uh, I think those numbers in the spring are really uh, impactful. And, uh, and I don't think we know how that, how that's going to work out. And we don't know, but there will be apparently five early enrollees of five guys that could come in and participate in the spring spring. The spring semester actually starts today. Um, and, but we, you know, we've, we've only seen, I think from USC sending out only one officially uh, has, has signed on, but maybe I, I missed something there, but it, it, has anything become official yeah. yet with those signees? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, and maybe, you know, we get the official word tomorrow. Do they want to have a, you know, a day to, make sure everything goes through and, and that would seem to be another reason for tomorrow uh, to be occurring when it does, where you can, you know, announce uh, that at least you have, have those additions. There's four more uh, freshmen in addition. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, I think they'll help. I, I think, I don't know that all four of them are going to be able to practice in the, in the spring. I think we'll find out all those details tomorrow. Uh, whether all four can practice in the spring, but uh, but every little bit helps, I think at this point. Uh, you know, I, uh, it's hard to get excited about the ability of those guys to you know contribute in the fall, uh, and maybe if everybody comes back healthy, uh, they won't have to. And you can only hope. Uh, and, and maybe one, uh, you know where you're not expecting it and, and just happens to be in the right place at the right time. Like Marcus Martin was when he was a 17 year old freshman and not expected, you know, to contribute. And, and there he was Max Turk, you know, followed the next year. So I guess in that, you know, vein, you've got a chance. So let's say maybe one of them, uh, by, uh, by fall being able to, uh, to jump out there. And then this year, even though you didn't see him in the in the spring, uh, you got Quentin Powell, for example, just making such an impact on on special teams, and certainly looked like he could have, without the experience, maybe uh, would have been harder. But he certainly, you know, could have been an impact player had he played, you know, more plays. Um, and uh, Leon McQuay, another another guy uh, who who did make it in. Uh, early uh, and as a true freshman was able to you know have an impact but but that's asking a lot uh, uh, have I think where USC is now what the what the old coaching staff decided was um, they had to play perfect football they had to play perfect assignment football to get away with the numbers so it was interesting they made the choice to go with 12 13 players on defense for example even you know against Stanford and decided that the ability to have uh, veteran guys who knew exactly what they were doing, 
and to coach those guys up uh, for games was the most important way to go, and that's the way they went. And, and for for the most part, it worked. What the decision will be this year, I don't know. I mean, for example, they made the decision just to go with the two linebackers, uh, Hayes Pillar and Anthony Sorrell, even though both Michael Hutchings and Quentin Powell had really shown some, uh, you know, great potential, but one missed assignment, and you know, on that defense, uh, you could be in trouble. And the, the ability to communicate was so important. So that'll be interesting to watch. Where do they come down on the, uh, you know, on that spectrum of uh, uh, getting a solid nucleus uh, of a few players and coaching them up so they can play perfect, or getting a rotation going. USC, I think, last year had more thought they were going to try to get a rotation going and then went away from went away from that thinking as the year went on. Uh, we got one more question about the, the roster a little bit. I went from Lamar. I wanted to uh, read this one to you, Dan. He said, what a great bowl season. As I watched the national championship game, it appears that the two teams, uh, it, it appears that those two teams uh, – were stronger on the on line of scrimmage. Sorry, I have to reword this a little bit here. Uh, a little more athletic than our Trojans. I know that we all point out to the reduced scholarships, but I'm talking just about the starters. The, the Trojan offensive line can't match up with some of these elite programs at tackle. Before Marcus Martin left, the interior, interior three could, but we need more Marcus Martins and Leonard Williams-type pedigrees moving forward. Recruit locally and make a push for that beef in the South. What are those kids eating? My goodness, they're huge. That's from Lamar. <laughs> Can't disagree. Uh, <laughs> I do think that that just strength and, and sheer athleticism, size and athleticism. Um, USC went for some <clears throat> some leaner guys. Uh, pretty good. You know, in terms of size, when you've got a bunch of six 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 seven guys and they're, you know, 300 pounds, give or take five either way, you're pretty athletic. However, if, if, you know, if what you're trying to do is to really knock people off the line of scrimmage, that may not, you know, be the way to go as much. Uh, maybe a more, uh, that those guys might be more, let's say, not so much suited for, but more adaptable to uh, the way Sark is going to go, where you don't have to always, you know, you're going to run the ball and run a lot. I think that's a really a big plus of the Sark system. Uh, but it doesn't look like you're going to have to have guys who absolutely can just, you know, road graders, you know, the Alabama, Stanford kind of guys. And, and as we saw, the way defenses are playing now, uh, that doesn't guarantee you success. I mean, uh, Stanford couldn't get it done uh, against USC, couldn't get it done in the Rose Bowl. Uh, and Alabama, you know, couldn't score enough points uh, against some of the people who were putting up big points. So I think this is a time when, when college football is, is really evolving in, in terms of uh, where they're going to go with those big guys up front. How are you going to do it? I do think you have more ability to handle, let's say, if you don't have as many of those, uh, you know, Alabama, Stanford kind of uh, guys up front uh, with what Sark is, is going to do if you spread the field a little bit. I mean, he says it's absolutely, don't call it a spread. But um, but I do like the, the up-tempo, and uh, you wouldn't be surprised if they really um, 
have a quarterback next year who does take off and run every once in a while. I think that's, that's something at the NFL. Now you're seeing, you know, play breaks down and, um, can you make something out of it or can you make them, you know, cover, you know, the quarterback, USC has had trouble figuring out how to do that. Uh, if you look at, you know, UCLA, what, what's the difference? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if I were, you know, coaching against USC or against UCLA, I might not just say, you know, in every play, let's just tackle the quarterback. I don't care what happens with the rest of their team. Let's tackle him. See if they can beat us with the other 10 guys. Because we tackle him every play. I think we got a shot. <laughs> and if you and make one of those other guys beat you, but don't let him beat you. And I think uh, if if you go in, you know, thinking that, uh, so where that takes you in terms of uh, Sark's offense, does does he say, you know, if it's if it, you know with Cody, uh, you've shown that the few occasions where you took off and where you were really thinking. I'm going to, if I see the opportunity, uh, and not hesitate, not, I mean, I think the times Cody was so conscientious in terms of all his reads and all the things that, that they wanted him to do that, uh, that he, he maybe was overly, uh, you know, conscientious, uh, in terms of going through those. But, uh, but I think my guess will be, he'll be a little more, uh, encouraged and poised and able to uh, to be athletic and uh, and take advantage of, uh, of of what the defenses are going to give him and uh, I mean I think he showed he could I think uh, mostly his issue was uh, choosing when to take off and and how long to stay in the pocket and when to absolutely make that call and even he throws the other thing with Cody he throws so well so accurately on a run that even when he take off he was still looking to throw the ball before he got to the line of scrimmage which probably got him to the line of scrimmage a little, a uh, little more slowly than you wanted if you wanted him to take advantage of, uh, you know, some openings and, and just take, you know, six yards if you could get it. Uh, so we'll see how that develops, but that's something I think to watch in the spring. Probably maybe we'll be able to tell a little bit in the, uh, in the winter workouts if, um, you know, they're talking to him about uh, how, you, how and when you, you, you tuck it and take off. All right, Dad, one last thing I wanted to talk about. We're going to switch gears from football to basketball. Uh, the USC Trojans lost by 20 to number one Arizona last night. Um, it was close, though, in the first half. They were making a game of it. 0-3 in the Pac-12. It doesn't look like there's a lot of great wins on the schedule, you know, so far in Andy Enfield's first year. What do you think is going on with this USC basketball team? I don't know. It's puzzling. I, I mean, I, I was – they watched them in preseason. It was fairly encouraged. They were playing pretty fast in, in scrimmages and, and, and what have you. And so, and they looked pretty enthusiastic about what they were doing. Uh, they do have, I mean, beating, uh, beating Xavier, Xavier's leading the A-10. Uh, that's my, you know, I pay attention to Xavier. So they beat Xavier in the, you know, in the, in the tournament. Uh, they beat Dayton at Dayton. Dayton's a good basketball team. Had been ranked, uh, and beating Dayton, you know, eleven, twelve thousand people in the Dayton Arena, that's a good win. Uh, they beat Boston College. You know, Boston College beat somebody in the uh, ACC the other day. I mean, Boston College, you know, Atlantic Coast Conference team, and they handled them, you know, pretty well. And then it just looks like 
stayed just to hit a wall somehow. And, 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 her, and I thought, I thought, for example, and I think Andy thought Arabi was going to be significantly better. Uh, Wesley is improved. Uh, JT Terrell, you know, he had a really good year last year. Uh, he's had, you know, academic issues and, and other kind of issues. You had, uh, you brought in peace on hard. He started three years in the ACC at Maryland. That's not a bad, you know, and he, here he goes and has what 20 points in the game winner, game tire and game winner at Dayton. He comes back against UCLA and, and zip, you know, nothing. It just, it, it's, it's a puzzling team. Uh, it's, you don't know, for example, how are they trying to win these basketball games? It doesn't look like they – I think they can run the floor pretty well when they do, but if they only do it once or twice a game and they don't you know, play enough defense and they don't rebound well enough to, to get into the transition game. Uh, but they don't look at all like if you would put a you know, video on of, of the Florida Gulf Coast teams uh, at the end of last year. And then you put a video on of, of these USC teams, it would be hard to believe they're coached, you know, by the same, you know, the same person. They're obviously not the same personnel and they're not playing the same opponents, but it, it just, it, it, it's surprising to me the difficulties they're having running an offense. It's surprising to me the difficulties they're having uh, running anything off, off of their seven foot two postman. I mean, they, they, you know, they start with seven two, and even though he's only a freshman, uh, Nikola uh, Juranovic is six ten, and he's got some skills. He can run the floor, he can pass, uh, he can shoot, uh, a perimeter shooter, and he's six ten. Uh, it just seems like what they're whatever they're trying to do isn't happening and isn't going together well, and I don't get the sense that you know they're all excited about being out there and uh, doing what they're doing or having a lot of fun doing it. And uh, I wish I had a, a more of a sense of, of what's going on, but the team that beat Xavier, beat Dayton, beat Boston College doesn't seem to be around anymore uh, when you get beat, you know, give up 107 points. I mean, they, they played 239 games in the history of USC, UCLA. UCLA, with all those great teams, some of the greatest in college basketball history with the greatest coach, had never scored 107 points before this year and what you know what caused that USC team to just basically go over and lay down uh, I don't think we know I mean it wasn't this isn't you know a nice UCLA team but not a great team not a not a great athletic UCLA team that runs the floor really well so to give up 107 points to them is is pretty discouraging and then uh, to get beat by what a combination 39 points on your home court even though, you know, you're Arizona's number one in the country and deserves to be that way and plays with, you know, size and athleticism and toughness and poise and, and a sense of this is who we are and this is what Arizona basketball is all about. And you, you didn't see, you don't have a sense of what's USC basketball all about right now. Where is it going? You know, is it strictly a matter of wait till next year and, you know, the first recruits uh, come in and the transfers and, and, if you look at the four recruits coming in with Jordan McLaughlin, the point guard leading the way, who I saw this summer and, and just love him, and he's, he's going to be a great player. And uh, we've seen the two transfers. Uh, Kate Reinhardt is a great shooter, a kid from modern day by way of Las Vegas, and then uh, Darian Clark, uh, 
really athletic, tremendous athlete out of uh, like six seven, two thirty, out of uh, Charlotte. Uh, and then with the four recruits coming in, that changes the look, you know, significantly next year. But uh, but this year you would like to be able to establish the sense of this is what USC basketball is all about, and this is how we go about it. And and we haven't seen that, and and it, it seems to be going the other way. And, and this is the time of year you want you want to be picking up some momentum, not uh, not looking like you ran into a wall, which is kind of what they've done. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff and uh, way to carry the whole show. So that's awesome. Thanks very much for uh, doing that. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. Uh, and yeah, this is a looking ahead time now, I think, and, and, and the time for, you know, some speculation and getting through some really interesting, if, you know, dramatic at all and uh, up and down. Uh, and one of the reasons maybe we, there is so much uh, kind of angst and, what have you is people have gone through a lot, you know, and they've, uh, this has been a battle, but, uh, a ten, you know, ended up with a 10, 10 win season through all that. Uh, I'm not sure anybody else did. I mean, you know, people, USC people want to feel, you know, something about it. It's they probably given all those circumstances, you could, you can really say, I think nobody else in the country could have finished with 10 wins. Having had everything happen the way it did, so uh, something to take out of that season, and and then move on, and uh, and it, hopefully, and I think the best thing, absolutely, that I think Sark said immediately when he came in, and it was a tribute to Ed and the current state or the staff that was still in place, and he said. And I, I, you can't say anything better when you come into USC. He said the thing that happened and the thing we saw with Coach Orgeron is he showed us you could win immediately. Uh, Ed didn't use it, have any excuses, didn't give any reason why that team couldn't challenge everybody on their schedule the rest of the way. And and I think the same applies to Sark and that kind of motivation coming out of you know Sark's you know. You know, there's not going to be, there's not going to be a place for excuses. Not going to be a place for saying we need a couple of years to get this going. Uh, uh, kind of a no excuses kind of a, a theme, and we expect to win, and we expect to win right away. And we're not going to concentrate on who's not here or what's not here or what the obstacles are, but just uh, how do we uh, how do we win right away? And uh, that that's the most encouraging thing I think of all uh, with the, with the changeover is the sense of we're expecting to win right away and we're expecting to have guys step up and if it has to be uh, you know guys like uh, the tight end pair of uh, Wilson and, and Sullivan well then that's what happens and uh, they did last year and uh, just expect them to do so this year or Nathan Gertner who may may finally be a scholarship player uh, this year, or Ryan Dillard, guys who may benefit, you know, if they fall short in scholarships, you would certainly think they would. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, that's the, the theme will be somebody's going to step up and we just, this is USC and we'll, you know, figure out a way. All right. Well, again, great stuff, Dan. Appreciate you coming on the show and we'll, uh, We'll talk to you tomorrow over at the at, on USC's campus and back on the podcast next week. 
Yep, can't wait. Uh, tomorrow going to be a good day, and I'm 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 really looking forward to it. And I I would think the the new coaches are too, and and, and probably the players. I mean, this will be you know getting to know one another week, and and it'll be it'll be kind of neat. Cool. Well, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thanks very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all again next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.